All right, good to see all of you. And um, you are awake and here. At least your bodies are here. Some of you are still sleeping, but it's okay. Um, and um, we printed out the sermon notes because some of you like reading better than listening. So you could read it, and some of you like listening better than reading, then you could ignore it. And some of you are bad at both. Well, just, you know, hang in there, all right? It'll be done. Um, but it's so good to worship together. And as Pastor Paul talked about, I just want to highlight, you know, uh, these wonderful, um, colorful cards. And um, four years ago at our Easter service at Fullerton, a lot of you were there. We, at that time, I talked to Jessica and our staff. I said, let's go and give something to every nonprofit organization that does, um, you know, some kind of welfare in Orange County. And they looked at me like I was crazy. Uh, we gave away a bunch of stuff to, but we decided over the years, let's hone in on these, on four. And so these four are doing a wonderful work from a woman's shelter to uh, a place for children at Olive Crest that we just saw from Chaplain Frank um, to uh, serve the people and to um, future in humanities, our Tuesday night soup kitchen. So they're doing wonderful work. And we thought, what better way to celebrate the, the best day for the church? Um, you know, puppies are good, right? Um, face painting is good. It's all okay. It's good. But really, what's a, what, what's a better way than other than us sharing our love to the world around us for those who are doing well? So as you guys remember, uh, they will all show up on Easter Sunday. We, and you will take one of these, and they have a wish list in the back, and you fill it up. Um, and you, you bring some of this back with you on Easter Sunday. You know, serve the people. They want clothing, new and old, socks that are new. No old socks, okay? Um, soap, blankets. And you, you, if you want to buy, you know, um, $500 worth of stuff, buy it and bring it. Or if you want to dig around your closet and you got stuff to give away, package it up and bring it. Write your name and bring it. And they're going to come in person. And um, I've already heard from some of their representatives. They're really excited um, to get this. And so this is a big deal. This is something I'm very proud of for our church, the way we, res the, the way all of you respond. And, um, you know, uh, if you really want to be a, like a winner, man, you want to be cool, like do get all four, like, just walk around, you know, just fan yourself with all four, just show everyone, look what I'm doing. I'm a better Christian than you. I'm holier than you. I have four. You only have two. Um, sh shame on you, you know, and make sure you do this. Um, it's going to be fantastic. Um, they're all coming. And then on Good Friday, we have services at three locations. Um, and L.A. Irvine in here. And we're going to have an offering that night. And all of that offering gets divvied up. And they get a check. And they get an envelope. And so socks are good. Blankets are good. Your used jackets are good. But, you know, they like the envelope. Like, they're like you and me. You know, like, oh, wow, there's an envelope. So um, we're excited. Uh, it's, it's a joy to be a part of that. So on your way out, we want to run out of these cards, okay? And... Uh, um, we, wanna, we want our 11.30 service to outdo our 9.30 service and outdo Irvine, okay? Because uh, they're all excited about it. So let's win, okay? Because you guys are the best, all right? Um, so uh, we want to keep that in mind. Today we're talking about grumbling. Um, out of all days, you know, this was planned uh, in January. All our sermons are planned a quarter ahead. And it happened to fall on the day that I woke up grumbling. I hate daylight savings. You know, whoever would cancel daylight savings, I will vote for for president. Like, I hate daylight savings, right? 
Um, and, and in God's timing, it's today. And I don't know if you know someone who is a constant complainer. I mean, a professional grumbler. And maybe a face comes to mind. And uh, maybe, hopefully, they're not sitting next to you. If you don't have to let them know, all right? Uh, but they're just complainers. You go to work, and they're just complaining. They hate the 5 for UA. They hate the 60. They really hate the 90. They hate, their, they hate all things. They hate the boss. They hate the water cooler. They hate the, the, you know, they just don't like it. And you're used to it, right? And you're just used to it. Do you know, um, and there's been these uh, uh, books and articles written about the effect of complaining, that if you yourself complain for 30 minutes, it affects you physically. And if you hear someone complaining for a, a prolonged time, it affects you physically. It affects your brain. They say a part of your brain suffers from hearing all this. You know, it's almost like secondhand smoke. Even if I'm not doing it, even if someone next to me is complaining and grumbling about daylight savings, about the freeway, about life, and they're complaining and you keep hearing it, they say you should get away from it. Right? But yet we are surrounded by people like that and sometimes we ourselves are people like that. And today we're going to look at this passage and there's kind of three parts that you see in your little green sheets, but why they grumbled? What's the background? What, what, what started the grumbling? The second part of it is, is what does grumbling really achieve? What does it do to us, right? And uh, thirdly is, is how do we deal with it? How do we fight off grumbling? How do we become people who are more um, positive than negative, right? Optimistic than pessimist. How can we become more like that as a Christian? So we're going to look at that. The, um, first of all, why do they complain? There's three reasons why they complained. And today we only read a few verses, but from the end of 15 in Exodus 16 and then to the beginning of 17, it's kind of one story that's mentioned here. And in it is their story of complaining. And in 15, it starts because the water is bitter. They say, it doesn't taste right. I don't like the taste of this water, right? 1524, and the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? And, you know, God tells them to put a piece of wood, uh, some kind of a log into the water source, and it sweetened up the water, and they were happy, right? And right after, in chapter 16, they complain about the food. Oh, back in Egypt, we had pots of meat and bread. Life was so good. No, it wasn't. It wasn't that good. Right? Their memory is skewed, and they think it was better back then in slavery than it was in freedom. And they complain about the food. And God says, well, let me provide for you manna. Let me provide for you quail. And they have meat, and they have this heavenly bread. And they are eating it. And then in chapter 17, they complain because they are thirsty. They say, we have no water, and they complain again. Um, in verse, chapter 17, verse 3, but the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So you're going to kill us, you know, you're, why are we out here? And they're complaining. What does this, what does complaining do? What, what's the effect that, ha, that, that it has on us? What, what, why, what is it? What does it achieve? It, uh, um, and I added a few more as I was thinking about this. And on your list, there's kind of three things, but I added a couple more. Number one, uh, grumbling is contagious. Like, you grumble and someone else will grumble. It's like, it's like a disease. It just kind of spreads. And so if one guy is complaining, the next person will start complaining. And we've done this, right? You ever go eat something good? You ever go watch a good movie? And the people you go to watch it with or eat food with, they say, oh, that was horrible. Ah, that was a bad movie. I didn't like it. What kind of simple-minded person would like this movie? And you know, you know, at that point, you can't say, well, I liked it. You say, well, yeah, this is kind of 
Yeah, 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 whatever. I just go along, you know, and we go along on this. So even with food. Okay, I'm the type, and if I like something, so my taste buds are very easy to please. If I like something, I want to eat it. If I had it for lunch, I want to eat it again at dinner. So every, my wife is like, you know, what should we eat for dinner? I said, well, you know that, you know, Blaze, that was good for lunch. Should we go back to Blaze? I've said that to her, and she's like, are you crazy? We just ate that. Like, it was good, right? Like, what's your problem? Like, it was good. We should go eat it again. And she's like, please, can we have a little variety? Um, and even with our pastors, you know, during the week, if I eat something on, like, Wednesday, and we go at Brea's Best, oh, the burger was good. And Thursday, like, oh, let's go eat, guys. What should we eat? And I will literally say, let's, we just, let's go eat Brea's Best. It was good. They're like, we just ate that. And they shake their head at me because we've, you know, they're like, oh, you're, something's wrong with you. So I realize something's wrong with me. But... Right? You go and eat something with someone. You, know, you go to a burger place. And whether you're eating a Carl's Jr. $6 burger, some of you are getting hungry, right? Carl's Jr. $6 burger, or you go to uh, Five Guys and you get a little burger because you feel guilty getting a big burger, right? And, or you go to In-N-Out. Oh, for me, I'm like, it's all good, right? It's all good. I'll come back again. But someone says, oh, this is horrible. How would you pay $6 for this? They even charge you more than $6. You know, for that money, we should have gone to Five Guys. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I catch myself, yeah, 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 we should. You know, it's, it's contagious, it spreads. This is what, how much it spread here with the people of Israel. It says in 16 verse 2, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses. Now, all of them grumbled. Remember, last couple of weeks, we realized there was over a million people that came out through the Exodus. So you're telling me that whoever started grumbling, it spread, and now you have a million complainers and whiners. Old people, young people, men, women, children, doesn't matter. They're all complaining. This water is so bitter. I can't stand this water. He goes, yeah, I can't stand that either. And it spreads everywhere. There was an article in the LA Times that quotes uh, a researcher named Robin Kowalski from Western Carolina University. She says this, complaining is often contagious. After one person complains, she says a domino effect often occurs. It's kind of a one-upmanship, she says, maybe to explain. One-upmanship. So if, because a person that complains feels like they have, they're entitled to something, that they're important, so they should get something better. So if they complain, our pride kicks in and says, well, hey, if you're entitled to that, I'm entitled to something bigger, bigger and better. So, oh, you, you didn't like Carl's Jr.? Well, you think your taste buds are better than mine? Well, I, I didn't like Carl's Jr. either, you know? And I like In-N-Out better than this. And, and we try to one-up each other, and it's contagious. And so if you are a, just a complainer, you have to stop this, because God willing, you have kids, and God willing, you have grandkids, and they have kids. They're going to all catch that disease from you. And they're going to have little complainers in your house. Oh, I hate Carl's Jr., you know, and I hated this, and this is horrible. So it's contagious. The second thing that grumbling does is it makes things worse than it is. So complaining about it doesn't make you feel any better. It actually makes it somewhat worse than it actually is. It says in chapter 16, verse 3, the, the latter part, for you have brought us out in, into this wilderness, right? There's complaining. You brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly for with hunger. That's the complaint at the bottom. You brought us out to kill us with hunger. So they are now making an accusation towards God, saying you have made it worse. All it was was uh, the water tasted a little weird. 
But now they're complaining that it is, you've brought us out to kill us. This is days after they witnessed the Passover. This is uh, right after they witnessed the Red Sea being split open. And for them to go to God and say, you brought me out. You've done all that. You saved my life in order to kill me because I don't have these things. And you think about the Christians today. We have a faith in Christ that he died on the cross for me. You know, he, he bore my sins. He died for me. He's forgiven me. And yet we could easily start complaining. Oh, you know, don't you? I hear people say sometimes, oh, you don't care for me, God. God, where are you, God? You don't hear my prayers. Really? And this is what the Israelites were doing, and we're not much different in this way. Uh, Peter ends in his commentary on this section, on that verse, he says, on that little phrase, to kill the whole community with hunger. Are you going to kill all of us with hunger? He says this, only the most callous heart or the most stupid mind could conceive of such a ridiculous charge against God. So if something's wrong with your heart, something's wrong with your mind, for you to go to God and say, you saved me to just make me suffer and give me a miserable life. And so it does nothing. It actually makes it feel worse than it is. Grumbling, thirdly, um, grumblers are forgetful. You know, we grumble because we forget. All right? Um, we forget to give thanks. It's interesting. Chapter 15, 22, right? Um, this is right after. Remember last week we talked about the song of Moses and how we ought to be singing to God and how important it is to sing and make music in our hearts to God, how, how we ought to give thanks. And Moses and Miriam and all million people are singing this worship song to God. The beginning of 15, literally in the same chapter as you read this, we see in verse 22 that Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. They went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no Within three days... Their memory is short. They forget. Within three days, they're complaining. They had just been given the freedom that God had provided. They had just been saved in, uh, uh, physically. Now they're complaining within three days. How could they do that? How could they complain? Aren't we, aren't we really similar in a lot of ways? I mean, we come to church and we sing these songs, you know? And we sing these wonderful songs and we hear this and we, we say prayers and we say, God, you know, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to do this. And then, you know, come Monday morning, like, I hate my commute, you know. God, I hate this freeway. God, you know, and I hate my job. Like, yeah. You pick the job, like go move closer if you don't like the commute. If you don't like the 91, take the 60. It's worse, right? Take the 10, try that. It's worse. I mean, um, we've all tried that. And we, we could complain immediately. Right? And this is what this grumbling does. Um, they forget and they, they do this right away. Fourthly, uh, grumblers grumble because they're consumers. Right? They, they have a consumer mentality. They come to God thinking, now think about this. If you've ever worked at a restaurant and the consumer comes, and you're the retailer, you're, you're behind the counter, and your boss is saying the consumer is always right, make the consumer happy. And you're trying to now appease the consumer because they they're bringing in money. They have a right. They've, they've brought their money in. And they have a right to these things. And I better now deliver this burger. I better deliver this experience. They complained because they were still approaching God like a consumer. God, here's my good deeds. God, this is my smart, uh, you know, my, my intelligence and my smarts to you. This is, my, this is what I'm doing. And they approach God like a religion. They say, you better now deliver. 
Where is my water? Where is my food? Where is this? And they go to God in this way. Christianity is not about us being a consumer. All the other religions are. You better act up. You better shape up. You better go and say your prayers. You better do all these things in order to go and get something from God. No, God is not someone that's behind a counter we go to and demand things as a consumer. What are they complaining about? The things that they're consuming, what they eat, what they drink. And what does Jesus say about this? In Matthew 6, 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothing? What you will eat, what you will drink, what you're going to put on, things that we go to the mall to do, the things that we go to consume. When we go to God, we are not consumers. We're not there to offer something to God to get something back. He doesn't owe us something. And lastly, what does grumbling do? What's the effect? It, it makes us greedy. It comes from greed. It makes us greedier. Right? Greed keeps perpetuating greed into our lives. You see in chapter 16, verse 26, there's this command given. Right? The Sabbath is coming up. Um, as the Sabbath is coming up, you ought not to collect each day the manna. And for the sixth day, before the seventh, before the Sabbath, you could collect double. But on the Sabbath, he says, don't collect any. It's a day of rest. 26, six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. Now, he tells them this. There's none, so don't even go out there. The very next verse, these people, the people of God, this is what they do. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather. They don't even wait two verses. I mean, it's the very next verse they go out to gather. Now, if I ask, if we were all the people there... It doesn't say everyone went, but some went. And if I ask you, gosh, who out of here would actually go and check? I, I would. Initially, I would. Because, hey, man, if, if Paul is looking and if Sam is getting, what if they get something that I don't have? So I got to go out there, right? And in our culture today, and we have to be very aware of this, our culture today in Orange County, in L.A., in America, where we live today, our parents have always said, you better study more because, you know, Paul and Sam and John and these guys, they're studying two hours. You better study three hours. You need to keep up. Oh, you want to practice? You better practice shooting free throws. because And this is a virtue of our, our culture here. To keep up and to get ahead. And God here is telling them, that's your greed. You need to stop. And he makes sure that it's gone, and it points out that they still went out to look for this. Peter ends, again, says this. He says, the food is God's gift to his people. All he asks is that they gather only as much as they need for one day and not keep extra until the next morning. God is to be trusted every day. God is to be trusted every day, he says. So how do we fight this greed, this grumbling, this complaining? How do we, what do we do? These two things from this passage I get. Uh, one from this passage and one from a bigger perspective. One is, is there is this idea of the Sabbath. It's the first time in the Bible that the Sabbath is introduced in chapter 16. You know, the Ten Commandments come later in chapter 20. It's the first time this idea of the Sabbath is introduced. And if you've been to church and you grew up, that's a familiar word. And sometimes we have a, a, a false idea of what this means. We think Sabbath means a day where it's 
holy. Holy means boring, like no movies, no sports, nothing good to eat, just church. You know, like it's just that. Isn't that the Sabbath? Like I hate it, you know, like do we have to do that? No, the word holy means separate. It means different. So when God is holy, they're not saying he's boring and morally this or that. He's saying he's just different. He's set apart from me. And when he says that you be holy as God is holy, he says you be separate from this world. It's the idea of being separate. It's a day that God has set aside for us to plan differently. Six days you shall work. On the Sabbath you shall rest. It's a holy day unto the Lord. It's a day that's different. That taps into our biggest fears of greed, of the lack of control. Why do we work so hard? Let's, put, let's be honest. If you work on Sunday, you're going to make more money. If you study on Sunday even more, your, your grades might be a little better. It, it will. It's not like God's going to supernaturally say, oh, no, no, no. You know, I'll give you more money and I'll make you extra smart if you don't say. No. Those are the practical things that will happen. But in the long run, the way that God has designed our lives to be, we will pay for it in the long run. We will start grumbling and complaining because I've worked so hard, God, to achieve this. I have now given up seven days to go work for this. Where is the payoff? I deserve more. To take a day, to make it a break. Um, It's interesting because God himself takes a day off. And some of you might be the type A personality. You're full of energy. You're like, I don't need rest. You know, I need four hours of sleep, and I'm good to go. Like, I'm ready to go. I don't need a break. I'm not weak like those other people. No, God took a break. And this is a discipleship moment where he says, now you want to be like me. Be holy as I am holy. He says, be like me. He says, I took a break. So the temptation to, some of you, you answer emails within a minute, right? There's some of you like that. And your phone goes off, and you have to answer it. One in the morning, five in the morning. And there's kind of sense of accomplishment. And the person that doesn't reply the next day, you know, within a few minutes, you look down on them. Lazy, crummy, worthless people. You know, and you look down on them and you want to answer them right away. To say, I'm going to close my laptop. I'm going to trust God with this. Because the same temptation that we have in our technology today is what the Israelites have. Shouldn't we go gather more? What if it runs out? What if I don't have enough? Monday, God will take care of it. Eugene Peterson, the late Eugene Peterson says it so simply in this way. He says, if you don't take a Sabbath, something is wrong. You are doing too much. You're being too much in charge. You've got to quit one day a week and just watch what God is doing when you're not doing anything. You're doing too much. You don't see what he's doing. Those who are scrambling around looking for the extra manna. Right? The word manna means what is it? Mana, right? It, it literally means what is it? And they just call it what is it? They, they're like, what is it? They're like, oh, let's just call it what is it? So they're like, I need to go get some more what is it? And everyone's looking for what is it, right? That's what it's, manna is called. And so they're like, oh, what is it? What is it? You know, and, and they're looking at what is that? What is that? I don't know. What is that? And they're looking for it. And they're going all around looking for this. And they're scrambling around. And they forget even at that moment, who's the one that let this come down? Who's the one that answered and gave? Because they need to go get some more of this. What is it? But 
that family, they, they had one more piece. I need to go get mine. It's our faith in practice. Secondly, is that ultimately we have to go to Jesus Christ. Right? Um, it's interesting because if we go to things that are temporal and we try to find satisfaction in people who are sinful and they let us down, we have the right to complain, don't we? I mean, if you go get your, your new smartphone and the new Samsung is out and the new iPhone's gonna come out again, and then, you know, this thing will one day start, you know, I'm always saying my memory is full. So I'm always like, why is my memory full? And I have to, you know, we're already complaining because this is a temporal thing. The clothes I have are temporary things. The people around me will often be okay, but sometimes they'll let me down. And if I get so let down and I grumble because I have every right to grumble, doesn't that mean I need to go to someone who will not go away, who will not let me down? Jesus Christ. And this is what he says in, in the Gospel of John. And I want to highlight this point for us as we wrap up. John chapter 6, 41, the Jews are grumbling. Can you imagine from, G, from God's perspective? They're like, you guys have been grumbling since Exodus and you get all the way to John chapter 6, 41, and those Jews, right, the descendants of Abraham and Moses, they're still grumbling. And I'm like, ah, oh, I knew it was contagious. It's still, they're still grumbling. What are you grumbling? What, what are you grumbling about now? You know, who do you, you know, why did you say this? And who do you say that you are? And this is what he says in verse 47. Truly, truly. And whenever Jesus uses uh, that read repetitive word truly truly um, there's an emphasis here in the original language he's like this is very important listen listen verily verily truly truly you need to hear this truly truly i say to you whoever believes has life eternal life i am the bread of life your father now listen carefully your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died this is the bread that comes from heaven so that no one, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came from came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread I will give for the life of the uh, world is my flesh. Now, he goes back to the manna. He goes back to the wilderness. He says, "What? Even if they ate that, they ultimately died." So. You have a right kind of to complain because these things are so temporary. And the food you eat and the clothes you wear and everything, it will all go away. It will not sustain you forever. But he says, I am the ultimate bread that comes from God. And he's talking about himself. He's the one who will be our ultimate satisfaction. With him, we have no complaints. What can we complain about? It getting old, it getting bad, it, you know, him letting me down. I have no complaints. He will be there. And he is constant. The late Jerry Bridges, who one of my favorite authors who passed away this week, he said this, the cure for the sin of, er of envy and jealousy is to find our contentment in God. I think about that. He's, he's in, before the face of God. And he's now what he's, the things that he has written now, it's, he's like, oh, this is so obvious. This is my satisfaction. Don't seek your contentment on the things that are temporary, on the relationships that are temporal. But ultimate satisfaction is to go to Jesus Christ, the eternal one who is there, the bread of life, the, the, the living water. And maybe you, you, you're at church and you've never started a relationship. You need to go and pray. 
And start today. Say, God, Jesus Christ, I want to follow you. I want to be a Christian. I want to walk with you. I want to find my satisfaction. I want my thirst quenched in you. And maybe you've been made a confession. You've been walking with God for years and decades. You need to preach this to yourself, the gospel to yourself, that he himself is your only satisfaction. And that you go to the cross and that's all I need. All I want is him. Everything else is temporal. He is forever. Would you find the grumbling from your mouths to be washed away with the joy that is filled in your hearts? And may our lips be filled with singing and praise because of the condition that is changed in here of what Christ has done for us. This is not a moralistic thing about say the right thing, believe the right thing, and try these tactics. No, the world teaches us all of that. What Jesus says is it happens from the inside, and it's going to change. So we go to him. All right, amen, everyone? Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your patience and love. God, when we read the story of your people, God, we see a reflection of ourselves. We connect with them. We know what it's like. And so, Lord, we thank you for your love and patience. And ultimately, we thank you for the salvation we have in Christ, that he is our ultimate satisfaction. He's the one who quenches our thirst completely. He's the one who fills our hunger forever. Lord, the things of this world will always let us down. Lord, they're all temporal. Even the people closest to us are all temporary. They'll come, they'll go. But Jesus Christ, you are here for us. You're the bread of life, so Lord, we go to you. Uh, We want to take part of you. We want you to live within us. We want that to change the way we talk, the way we live. So we thank you, God, for the manna from heaven, Jesus Christ. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.